It's Tuesday, March 23rd. I'm Guy Adami, joined as always by my dear friend Dan Nathan for the Macro Setup, brought to you this week by Nadex, the premier U.S. exchange for binary options, call spreads, and knockouts. Dan, how are you today? I'm doing great, Guy Adami, coming in hot here on this Tuesday. I am coming in hot. You know why I'm coming in hot? Because right now the market's hot doesn't seem to care about anything impervious to bad news, shakes it all off. We're going to talk about a VIX below 20. I'm sort of shocked by the resilience of this market, Dan. What are your thoughts quickly? Yeah, listen, you, you know the, the competing forces that we've been talking about as it relates with this virus, right? It's the mitigation attempts that caused the lockdowns over the last year, the optimism about vaccine uh, vaccines and getting to the other side. Uh, and, you know, it's funny because we now seem to have these two competing forces actually working at the same time very oddly. I mean, you would have thought with the max vaccinations that we're having right now that we wouldn't continue to have these mitigation attempts. And We've seen it in Europe. Mm-hmm. We've seen it in parts in the U.S. And I think that's the sort of thing that you're probably saying, why are market participants not more worried about this? What if this thing goes longer than expected? What if some of these new strains are not really covered by these vaccines? There's still a lot that we don't know. I guess the difference is, is that one year on right now, Guy, it seems that most, at least in America, that the people are ready to be done with it. They're ready to get on with it, no matter what is going to go on from here on out. And that's just the way it's going to be. And I think that's also playing out in the stock market. No question about it. We talked about it uh, Monday night on Fast Money. We led with it, actually, in terms of, you know, is the market looking past this? Should the market look past it? And Melissa came to me and I said, listen, obviously, we're very concerned. Loss of life. We're all human beings. I said, but we try to look things through the prism of the market. And I said, in a perverse way, uh, these new mitigations, the fact that there is seemingly um, things grinding to a halt maybe in Europe. And obviously here in New Jersey, we're seeing things start to slow down because of the rising case numbers. That in a perverse way could actually be bullish for the stock market because maybe it slows the move in bond yields to the upside, something that clearly the market hasn't liked. And I think I made the point that you know, the market has learned to look past this. You know, we're a year into this, and this is one thing the market's learned how to deal with. So in a really strange way, everything you just mentioned could be bullish for the stock market. And quite frankly, that's what we saw yesterday. And to a certain extent, that's what we saw earlier today. Right. And you would have also said that given the sort of economic data that we're seeing, the revisions to GDP for 2021 and the optimism about 2022, that, you know, you might see... I don't know, you know, like, like, look, Jerome Powell is still got the, the pedal on the metal, right? We've heard from him a whole heck of a lot in the last week. We know that we just put forward $2 trillion or nearly that in further stimulus. And now they're eyeing a $3 trillion plan that might be infrastructure and a whole host of other things. So I guess the point is, Guy, is that, you know, there's so much liquidity here. And this is, we know the story here. So it's easy to look past the thing that's right in front of you that you think sounds really bad. Well, let, let's talk about, we talk about the market all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, in the stock market, there's a couple different markets going on right here. I think the S&P 500, we have a six month, or excuse me, a year to date chart right here. And it's really interesting. You see those series of higher lows. We've had a couple corrections. I think the first one in January was four and a half percent. That's not really a correction if you're 
going by the proper definition in the Investopedia probably. And then what do we have? About a five and a half percent in February, but we made a series of higher lows and a series of higher highs. We're less than about 1% from last week's all-time highs. It looks poised to kind of make a new one. That's a pretty constructive short-term chart there, wouldn't you say so? Yeah, it's extraordinary, uh, without question. I mean, if you were just look at this, don't tell me what it is. To your yeah. point, a series of higher lows and higher highs. It's extraordinarily constructive, without question. And we do, you know, there's so many people with that 4,000 target on the S&P 500. I mean, we're within a whisper of that, a couple of good headlines away from printing yeah. 4,000. So the chart looks extraordinary. And if you just look at it through that lens, it's probably something I should do more of. There's no reason not to continue to be long this and to continue to buy weakness. And the next chart we can go to sort of speaks to exactly that, Dan. I mean, the longer term chart in the S&P 500 is a great illustration of exactly that since March. You know, we obviously had that trough. We've talked about it a hundred of times, seems like, but we're still in this very well-defined uptrend. Now, I would submit that we're in this pennant. Obviously, the steeper line is the uptrend line, Dan. And I would think as we get closer and closer uh, to the formation of that pennant, the breakout is going to be to the downside or the breakdown, is, as they say. And I think at some point that 200-day moving average of about 35.50 or so is in play. Other people look at this and say, you know, we're just building towards the upper end of the range and we're going to go breaking through it on the upside. That's what makes markets. But at least if you're trading and for the folks that are listening and watching, they're trading this. Now you're getting a more well-defined upper end of the range and lower end of the range. And this is going to get very interesting very quickly. Yeah, I guess the point is you just said that we're kind of a couple good headlines away from being at that 4,000 level. And the point that I would make, and I think we kind of touched on it just a couple minutes ago, is that what is also in the market at the moment? What are the anticipation? What is the expectations? And I think a lot of that good news near term is in it. I just don't, I, I, I'm really hard pressed guy to see, you know, we're going to head into quarter end um, <clears throat> this week, obviously, right. and you know, we might see some goofiness with markups. It's been a good um, year so far. I think the S and P is up what four and a half percent. The uh, Nasdaq is up a little less, and so maybe you get a mark here. But you know, to me, the the quickly the focus is going to be on Q one earnings and and guidance for the balance of the year. And we know that a lot of companies are going to have fairly easy comparisons relative to, let's say, Q two of last year. That was really the throes of this pandemic. We didn't see the stimulus and a lot of stuff work its way into the economy for at least another quarter or so. So that might be a, um, a focus here. But I mentioned, Guy, the, the underperformance of the NASDAQ. And let's look at the NASDAQ 100 in particular, because we know that about five or six names make up nearly 50% of the weight of that. And you know this one is really interesting. So this is a two-year also. And when we looked at that S&P 500, you called it a pennant and it was getting narrower and narrower. It looks like it's basically going to break one way or another, just a bit higher here if we get a little more. But the NASDAQ 100 broke that uptrend that had been in place since the March 2020 lows. It's still below it. It caught some support right at that range, which was like the September high. Remember, that was like a really emotional high into the start of September. But it's still kind of broken. It still has like this kind of head and shouldery feel to it, a like little toppy form here. What's your take on the NASDAQ 100? Well, I mean, this is just going to be predicated in, 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 in terms of what your views are and what happens with 10-year yields. I mean, that's just, I think for me, it's as simple as that. But my view is we're going to go back and we're going to take a look at that uptrend line, right? What was support on the downside becomes resistance on the upside. And we probably find it in the form 
of the trend line that you drew so well. But I do think that support, which you, again, you illustrated with your horizontal lines, you know, the previous yeah. all-time high, we basically went down to touch. That was previous resistance that becomes support. The 200-day moving average actually for the first time in a long time almost came into play, which I thought was really interesting. But if I look at this, bond yields, which we will talk about, seem to have stopped going up in the short term. That yeah. should be supportive of the NASDAQ in the short term. Maybe we take a look back at that trend line. I think if and when we get there, I think we're going to fail and we're going to have a sort of a test of those horizontal lines that you drew. And, and eventually, I think, because I do think 10-year yields get to 2%, eventually we're going to get down to the 200-day moving average with the NASDAQ's about 11,900 or so. Yeah, the NASDAQ is really interesting to me because it's kind of like a tale of two cities in a way. You have these big mega cap tech names that, you know, um, people have justified the valuations, you know, trading. If you have a Microsoft or an Apple at 30 times, that used to be something that would be unheard of of those names. Let's call it five, six, seven years ago. Um, now, because of the stable business lines, because of the balance sheets, because of the moats, so, you know, like all that sort of stuff, that 30 times seems acceptable, especially when you have an S&P trading at what, 22 or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's a big part of it. Then you have those high valuation names that the ones that really did well during the pandemic, they um, pulled forward a lot of kind of um, demand and they pulled forward adoption of their products and you know what they are, they're the Zooms and, and a lot of cloud-based names or whatever. But those names, it feels like the fever has broken. And that's a really interesting thing to me. So I, I think the NASDAQ is probably, as far as the stock market's concerned, is probably the most important one to keep an eye on. And the fact it's below- I think it's the most important, yeah. I think it's, I don't mean in, I think it's the most important one. I also think it's the most vulnerable one outside of the Russell, which probably we'll talk about as well. But to yeah. your point, you know, when interest rates, when 10-year yields are below 1%, yeah, you're probably right. Valuations don't matter. And you can pretty much, you can rationalize anything. And Jerome Powell pretty much said that. I think with rates now north of 1.6% in the 10-year, I think valuations begin to matter. And that's what we saw over the last couple of weeks in the NASDAQ. Now, if we were to flatline in yields, I think the NASDAQ will find its footing again. I don't think that's going to happen. I think yields are going to remain in that uptrend. I do think we're going to trade up to 2% at some point. And I think the horizontal lines that you drew are going to come and play again in the NASDAQ. But that's just one man's opinion, Dan. And I think next is the NASDAQ year to date, just to give you sort of illustration on some of the things that you've been talking about. Yeah, it's funny because, again, we said that 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 prior, that uptrend that was support is going to be a really interesting resistance level. I look at the six-month charts. I didn't really even want to draw any lines of this. You see that the NDX is trading at about the midpoint of the year-to-date range. Mm -hmm. So we're almost three months into the year. And, and it really tells you that underperformance versus the S&P versus the Russell, um, that, that investors are really having problems at this point saying, I'm all in on some of these names. I think Apple is down 8% on the year. Obviously, it gained 100% from its March lows into the year end. So at least there's some trepidation on, on investors' fronts, which to your point, Guy, I think if we were to start to see, and we got a lot of charts to go through, but if we were to start to see a lot of things go in the same direction at the same time, and that means lower, things could get ugly pretty quickly. But I would expect the NASDAQ, specifically the NDX, to find some support down near that 200-day moving average and right. probably from there on out, outperform the other ones because of the defensiveness of some of the major names in that. But lastly, on this year-to-date chart, it does have a little bit of a head and shoulders top to it, which is what I was saying before, especially when you look at it um, at this time frame. 
Let's go to the VIX because obviously it's something that I completely missed now over the last couple of weeks. You know, in my wildest dreams, Dan, in this environment, I'd be hard pressed to give you a situation where, or, or a number of situations where the VIX is below 20 or closes below 20. Yet this week and late last week, I think the VIX actually closed below 19 for the first time in over a year, which is remarkable given some of the things that we're facing. And there, there are probably a myriad of reasons why. I think the main reason is the market is taking its cues from everything that Jerome Powell said last week about we're still data dependent. Uh, oh, by the way, you know, we're probably not raising rates until sometime in 2023. And I think, I think in terms of volatility, the market took its cues from that. And I think people once again have sort of foregone buying volatility as a form of protection. They're probably not buying it um, for any reason. And I think there are a lot of people out there that are looking for opportunities to sell volatility because guess what? The market never goes lower. And when it does, the sell-offs don't last. And people have been rewarded for that strategy. But as the VIX goes lower and lower, the risks associated with selling vol get larger and larger. And I think that's where we find ourselves right now, Dan. Yeah, it brings me back to last August um, into that high in September 2nd. It felt like it felt like a crescendo. You know, people were scratching their head when we were seeing these mega cap tech names. And, and it was really actually the last kind of gasp for some of those uh, also those smaller cap pandemic winners as far as tech was concerned. And there was all that call buying. And there was this really weird instance where there, the, there was skew towards the calls rather than puts, which is a more natural sort of situation, as you mentioned, that usually there's more demand um, when it comes to um, volatility for, for buying put protection, that sort of thing. So we had that kind of switch. We know that SoftBank was buying tons of out-of-the-money calls and a lot of the big tech holdings that they own. And then we saw that move to the downside in September, which was fierce. And I bring that up because when those positions got unwound, um, there was a knock-on effect in the stocks too. And some of the mega cap tech stocks really outperformed to the downside in September. So I guess my point is, is like, you know, you better know why you think the VIX is going to stay or become a teenager and stay a teenager before you start selling volatility, because when you least expect it, in my opinion, um, when you have as much uncertainty as we have right now, despite what Jerome Powell is trying to tell us about whether they're going to raise rates anytime soon, um, you know, risk happens uh, pretty fast to use a probably yeah. overused expression there. Um, but, but guy, you mentioned rates before, and this is a big part of it, right? And so there was um, a period in which with the volatility in the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield, despite what Powell's saying about Fed funds, was really causing investors, or at least it was causing, um, it was causing you know, some palpitations in the markets and specifically in the vol markets. And you, know, you were saying you were wrong on the VIX. You weren't wrong on the VIX. You were said on numerous occasions on the, on the macro setup over the last few months, when it was around 20, you said, I think it's going to 30 in the not so distant future. And here's why. And it usually had to do with what interest rates were doing, the velocity yeah. of the rate move. Well, that's it. I mean, for me, it is about the velocity of the move. You know, you, you correctly will say, and, and people who are watching this correctly will say that, you know, 1.6% in a 10-year yield is still historically very low. And that's, that's factually true. My concern all along has not been the absolute yield. It's been the speed with which we've gone from 53 basis points in August to north of 1.7% last week. And here we are somewhere around 1.65%. I mean, again, I'll just say this, maybe I'm wrong. In my world, bond yields, the 10-year yield in the United States shouldn't move uh, that abruptly. It's, again, just my opinion. Now, things have stabilized. And a couple of weeks ago, David Tepper said on a Monday that he thought yields would sort of stop their rise higher. 
he said that about one and a half percent. You know, obviously we traded up to one seven five here at one six five. I'm not going to say he's right or wrong. That was his opinion, and we'll see if it plays out. Listen, I'm still of the belief these horizontal lines that you drew, the top end coming around two percent. I absolutely think we're going to test that and and see what happens if and when we get there. And I don't think it's going to be that market friendly. We're smack in the middle of this danger zone for you Top Gun fans out there. I think 2% is the ultimate um, level that we get to. If you look at a little longer chart, which we have, by the way, Dan, we'll say slide it, Earl, for you fast, for you match game fans, you'll see that 2% makes a lot of sense for a myriad of different reasons over the last 10 years. And again, we're smack in the middle of that danger zone that Dan highlighted with the, with the two horizontal lines. So that's my view. I think you may share it. You may not share it. I think you see a scenario where we get to 2%, but I also think you see a scenario if and when we get there, we don't stay there very long. Yeah, I, listen, I, I feel like because of how much debt it's taken and you know, just to get the global economy where it is, and we were already going in a, in a place where I think a lot of people were uncomfortable with, and that's why if you go to this 30-year chart of the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield, it just tells you that like upper left to bottom right, I mm-hmm. mean, the interest rates have been going down for 30 years, and you know, almost every metric versus you know sovereign debt here versus consumer debt this and that. they're at levels that we never thought are really particularly sustainable in past cycles but so here we are now we have you know 15 16 trillion of so- uh, sovereign debt globally with a negative yield um, our yields have moved up very quickly from you know that that 50 basis points level i just think if you look at that that downtrend, um, you know, maybe we get to two, maybe we get to two and a quarter. And if we don't go there in a straight line, maybe the equity markets are okay with it. And I guess the biggest issue is that, you know, the idea of servicing all of that debt at higher interest rates, you better have, you know, a lot more growth than we're expected to see right now when you kind of smooth out, you know, the 2020 versus 2021. So I just don't think they're going uh, materially higher. You might touch 2%, maybe a little higher. Um, And, you know, at the end of the day, guy, the only palpitations we've seen in the stock market with this precipitous rise has really been in the high valuation NASDAQ names, yep. and they're already kind of corrected. So I guess there's going to take something more for us to have a really sharp drop. Now, you will take me back to Q4 2018 when the 10-year Treasury was moving on its own and it got to, what, 3% or north. And what did the S&P do? And basically a straight line in six weeks. It went down how much? 19.9% from the middle of October till December of that year, Dan Nathan. I know you're rolling your eyes, although I can't see you because <laughs> I say it all the time. And oh, by the way, you know, if you look at this chart and you want to sort of not that we, we maybe we'll do it for you next week or in the next couple of weeks, the overlay an S&P 500 chart and, yeah. and the move higher in rates probably coincides with, you know, a bit of a lag, but a sell off in a broader market. And I, listen, that's what I think we're about to see again. Nobody really shares that view. You know, we have people on Fast Money all the time and we'll ask the question, you know, what's the bear case scenario? And people find, find it hard to find a bear case right now, which really should be frightening if you think about it, because there's always a bear case. It's just it doesn't come to fruition. But, you know, the, the, well, the glib way with which people speak about the market, and the complacency that's manifesting itself in the VIX is concerning. Yeah, the bear case, I guess, in your world would be that with so much liquidity, with rates so low, with the way the Fed is job owning things, with the way that we always kind of bail out situations, you know what I mean, as far as the economy is concerned, or as you would say, you probably would 
more the market, the, 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 the bear case is inflation, right? And so what yeah. does that do to corporate earnings? And what does it do to consumer balance sheets, that sort of thing? And so who knows? I mean, we know that let's move to the Dixie here. The U.S. dollar index have a two-year chart. Obviously, that's pretty tied to inflation, um, or at least it should be one way or another. Do you think that's one reason why the Dixie has firmed up a little bit over the last couple of months as expectations for inflation have risen here? You think inflation is here and it's much higher than the way that the government reads it here. Is that what's going on with the Dixie here? And talk to me about this chart. In retrospect, that's probably exactly what's going on because raising rising bond yields, which we've seen, should actually be supportive of the dollar, which we're seeing yeah. as well. If you right. know, given the comments out of Jerome Powell last week, um, which should have been extraordinarily dollar negative, I'm pretty impressed by how resilient the dollar's been. And you know, you've been on this case for a while, Dan. You've pointed out that. Yeah, maybe we'll trade down that 88 and a half, 89 level in the Dixie, but there's support. Too many people are bearish. Stands to reason we're going to see a bounce. And that's exactly what we've got. All of the, all of the scenarios out there are extraordinarily dollar bearish, but the dollar hangs in there for whatever reason. Maybe it's sort of that, and I hate the term, but sort of best house in a bad neighborhood. I think there's some of that going on. And you're obviously seeing some of the things going around overseas. And I don't want to go down to Turkish lira rabbit hole but you see how quickly things go pear-shaped in what's you know generally speaking a pretty developed economy so my concern about the dollar still exists but the market is telling a much different story right now yeah that's a really good looking near-term chart no matter what you thought it was you know what i mean it looks like it's kind of like you know it's having some issues right now at that breakdown level from a couple months ago but it's obviously above that downtrend that was pretty steep that's been in place since the mm -hmm. March 2020 highs, you know, maybe you have a move back to that double top area from the fall, which is like 94-ish or whatever. But let's go to the 20-year chart of the Dixie because this one's really interesting. You just mentioned that 88 level of support. That goes back 10 years, guys. So when yeah. it just bounced from those levels, which you had called, you know, if you don't get a good bounce here and you retest that kind of 90 level again, it could be lights out. I just think it's really interesting to kind of note that if you look at this 20 year chart, we're just below the midpoint of this 20 year range for all intents and purposes. So, um, you know, I, I can see why you could make a very bearish case for the dollar. I just don't see it happening, especially if you think rates are going materially higher anytime soon. I want to go back to one thing. I want to move forward to away from the dollar to Bitcoin. And obviously, you know, the Bitcoin exists because of um, this belief by a whole group of people out there that, that have basically turned into a religion over the last 10 years that basically all fiat currencies are going to be worthless at some point. So you might as well um, put your money in something that um, actually won't depreciate every day just by um, the, the cause uh, and effect of, of the central banks around the world. This one is really interesting. You and I were just talking about the VIX and you were talking about the complacency. Is the VIX, if, if Bitcoin has replaced gold, and we're going to talk about gold in a second, if Bitcoin has literally become digital gold and you think it's a lot more transportable and it actually can have all of the kind of um, store of value that, mm -hmm. that a lot of uh, gold bugs believe in, 
then has Bitcoin also become like the new VIX in a way? You know, if you think about um, the way that it's acted, um, I know that right now it sounds kind, kind of counterintuitive, but if we're at a real level of complacency, then you would see kind of Bitcoin come in. I know that a lot of coiners would tell you that the secular shift towards it is going to be like blow that whole argument into the water because you're just going to have a mountain of money coming into it. But as Bitcoin, you know, it'll be really interesting to see, I guess I'll just sum this point up and I want to get your take is that if we were to see a, a, a broad risk asset um, correction in the last few times we've seen that we've seen Bitcoin get hit. So will it actually be uncorrelated? We just don't know. A lot of coiners are making the case that it will. Yeah, that to me is going to be the most interesting thing. So if we see, so the two scenarios are, well, for me, these are the two scenarios. If Bitcoin gets whacked here, let's say you have another 20, 25% move, which yeah. by the way, we've seen a number of different times over yeah. the last few years to the downside. What is that going to mean for the broader market? Does that coincide with the sell-off in the market or is money going to find its way into the market? You know, I think it's actually going to coincide with the sell-off of the market. We'll see. If the broader market starts to sell off in a meaningful way, are we going to see a flight to quality? And I'm putting air quotes up in the form of Bitcoin. Or to your point, yeah. is there going to be some correlation between the two? Are we going to see a sell-off? I actually think that's what's going to happen as well. I think if the broader market sells off, you're going to see a sell-off in Bitcoin. The point is, I'm not certain how um, uncorrelated they are. At a certain point, I think there's going to be correlation. And unfortunately, I think it's going to manifest itself in a sell-off in both. That's just my view. But I think you make a great point about Bitcoin being the new, well, not the new VIX, but, you know, a, a somewhat of a substitute in the near term for the VIX. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that it's going up when the market's getting killed. I, what I'm saying is it's kind of like a risk indicator um, because it really does have mm -hmm. to do with those correlations. That's what I want to keep an eye on. You know, gold used to be that thing, guy, when you were just a young buck coming up in this business. Um, gold was the kind of well, thing. Well, you know, you I tell of, you, back in the, you know, that back in the day, and <laughs> you know, the gold standard days, I mean, we had a field day. Sorry, Dan, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, Continue, I mean, I know. Please. And back in the day, you have that bad back because you used to have to lug it around Goldman Sachs. You have no idea yeah i know i know um well let's talk about this thing because I, you had a great call on a breakout last year um it just seemed like all the just the stars were aligned for gold when you were considering what was going on with the pandemic and the response to it from an economic standpoint but since that i mean look at that blow off top that that was an all-time high right just under yeah. 2100 yeah. Yeah. yeah and so look at that well-defined downtrend you know last month it did catch some support at that june low what is your take on it here? And I guess you probably will tie it back a little bit to Bitcoin. Look, if I'm looking at this, I will tie it back to Bitcoin because I think Jerome Powell spoke <laughs> about Bitcoin yesterday, I believe, and, and basically said that it's, I'm paraphrasing, you know, but it's viewed yeah. as a replacement for gold, which is not particularly bullish or encouraging for the gold crew out there. And if I just look at this chart and you didn't tell me what it is, which I think is a good um, it's sort of a good exercise for people. Don't get blinded by what it is. Just look at the charts and let that do the work for you. I mean, to me, this speaks to exactly what you're going to say. I mean, we're in a pretty defined downtrend from last summer. And chances are, given the backdrop, we're going to test that lower downtrend line. And it probably comes in right around 1600 or so, which is not particularly encouraging and will break the support line that you drew that horizontal line. But that just seems to be I'll, I'll do a little French here for you Gomez Adams fans. Fait accompli, Dan Nathan. Like that? Yeah. 
you know, it's really weird for me. I was never really into gold. I, I kind of understood why people would buy it. I understood why it would sell off. Um, you know, to me, this last nine months, though, has been super curious because this was the place, this was the time for it to start acting better. And, you know, when you think about just Bitcoin hitting a trillion dollars in market cap, um, it's really kind of stolen a lot of the thunder. Um, let's talk about some other commodities. Another one that you know pretty well, um, crude oil here. I think this one obviously had um, a really weird year. We have two charts, though. I have a six month that I want to start with because, um, you know, it seemed like from the, the early November period, um, it's just been a rocket ship at one point, yeah. up nearly 100%, right? From those early November lows, we've just broken that downtrend. A lot of things going on here, okay? Like this is well, the economic inflation trade, right? This was, um, but now is it that the dollar is firming, right? And you're seeing that kind of, you're seeing, you um, crude come off a little bit and then maybe, you know, kind of more news about, um, you know, some lockdowns in Europe and that sort of thing. Are we going to start to see um, a little slowdown in economic activity, which is one of the things that really held crude back last year? So let's talk about this quickly, because I think it's a fascinating chart for a number of different reasons. I mean, if you go back and look where we started this ascension, I mean, it sort of coincides when we've got some of the news about, listen, these vaccines are coming. And I think the crude oil market got ahead of it. And oh, by the way, it also coincided with the dollar getting whacked. So you had both of those as tailwinds. Now what's happened? Well, quite the opposite. You've had the dollar firm up, number one. And number two, you have news out of Europe and things seem to be slowing down again. So maybe this second wave, third, whatever wave it is in the virus, and again, lockdown seemingly across Europe, maybe that's leading to this weakness. So, you know, crude can tell a story in a lot of different ways that it clearly told the story in November and if you listen now, maybe it's telling the story in terms of uh, what we're about to see with the firming dollar, which we obviously talked about, yeah. and obviously the, the vaccines rolling out. But you know what? Things seem to be slowing down again in Europe and in some of these states. I'm, I'm here in New Jersey, and there's been news over the last couple of days that yeah, um, our Governor Murphy is going to sort of put the brakes on things for a while. So I think those are the concerns, and it's manifesting itself in terms of the price of crude oil. Yeah, I want to go back, though, to 2014 and 15. If you remember what the Fed started to do, they started um, tapering bond purchases, right? So they were ending QE, and then they were starting to talk about coming off of that zero interest um, rate bound. And so what did the dollar started to do? It started to rally, right? And when the dollar started to rally and rates started to go higher, crude oil got decimated, got cut in half, didn't it? Got mm -hmm. in, in its lows mm -hmm. in 2015. So, you know, that's why we talk about all these different instruments. We talk about them from, you know, a qualitative standpoint about what the news is and what we think might happen as far as rate policy and, and, and the such. But, um, you know, those are really good reasons to keep an eye on. We have this two-year chart of crude oil and there's some funkiness in there. I'll let you speak to it a little bit, but it's interesting that that rally that we were just talking about over the last six months or so caught resistance right at those 2020 highs at the start of last year before the pandemic was a thing, um, a very sad thing. Obviously, I don't mean to be glib about that either when you think about how many people have died and been sick and the kind of economic devastation it's caused over the last year, but we're here to talk about the markets, unfortunately, and, you know, before it was a thing, that's where we caught resistance on the way back here when people are optimistic about it. What does this two-year chart of crude tell you, Guy? So this would look much different, this chart, if we didn't have, obviously, that print, that two-day print when crude went negative, minus $39 in the front month. So if you can somehow visualize that not being there, this chart would look extraordinarily different. The double tops 
that you've outlined would be much more stark. They'd be like, oh my God, look at that major two-year double top. And you drew the horizontal line exactly correctly. So I know we can't back that out, but just in your mind's eye, if you were to back that out, it would be a much better looking chart in terms of illustrating the double tops and the failure, the recent failure at that previous high back in December of 2019. So I know it's hard to do. Uh, I'm only able to do it because I've been doing this for so long. But I think if you were to sort of say, wait, if we didn't have that sort of skewing this chart, this would be a much more well-defined double top. And maybe you can look at some of the underlying equities on the back yeah. of it and speak to why they've been selling off some of these levered names that we've talked about a number of different times, which leads us to the next major commodity, I think, Dan, which is copper, which we all love to talk about. Dr. Copper, as it's famously called on CNBC and other news outlets. Obviously, the, the, the move has been parabolic. And listen, the, the, the sideways action has coincided with the dollar firming up and to a certain extent with some of the slowdown news that we've been getting over the last week or so. So I think this is important to watch. You have a huge uptrend from the March low, not unlike the NASDAQ, by the way. It actually looks hauntingly like the NASDAQ. But you know what? That uptrend line that you drew, Dan, I think comes into play. And it probably comes into play right around all those things coinciding, the moving averages and the uptrend line. And, you know, to that extent, these equities that have been on fire are probably going to face some headwinds. Yeah, we're seeing that a little bit today in the market. I was just looking at some of these kind of um, industrial commodity stocks, FCX, Alcoa, that sort of thing. They were getting hit pretty hard here. Um, I do think that copper trades really well. If you think about just that that flag that it's been making since it bounced um, at that uh, 350 level. Um, to your point, though, the intersection of that kind of 100-day moving average and the uptrend uh, and the breakout level is about 350 or so. Um, so that might be a level on the downside that you see some support. Um, listen, you know, I, I'll just kind of put a put a bow on all this guy. I mean, we like to think of things top down from the stock market. We like to, that is our lens that we're used to looking at. We think about it through ball terms. We think about some new products like Bitcoin. We think about rates. We think about the dollar. We think about commodities. These all kind of help form a bit of a mosaic as we think about markets ah. broadly here a little bit. And so, you know, we, we tend to be a little methodical about it. So, Please keep giving us um, our, our giving us your feedback, um, but it's really kind of a thought process that we find very useful um, once a week to kind of walk through it like this. Don't you think? Because we often on Fast Money, for instance, we'll have a soundbite on one of these aspects, and for us, it's really nice to tie it all together a little bit. I think if you're trading, which obviously everybody watching and listening is doing, you know, it's cathartic to sort of sit back and take a half hour, forty five minutes to look at these okay. different things and to think through them. And to sort of get a little granular, which we've tried to do. So it's, you know, I'd love to be able to say I'm right, um, you know, 65, 70% of the time, that's folly. But I will tell you the thought, the work behind it is always there and the thought process is always there, but the market has a way of humbling us. But if you do your work and sort of think these things through the way we've tried to do for the last 35, 40 minutes, I do think it helps you become a much better trader, Dan Nathan. Well, there you go. You're a great trader. I just, the, the thing about being right um, you know, most of the best traders that I know, um, they're not right. Like they're not like, you know, it, it's kind of like a batting average in a way. You, you know what I mean? 100%. Like, it's really about it's about risk management and it's about probing and it's about retesting your ideas and, you know, rethinking your thought process and kind of considering some other inputs from some other, you know, 
you know, people or, or, you know, investment theses or that sort of thing. So to me, you know, like you take it all in, you think about how it fits your own um, trading process or whatever, and, and, and you go from there and you're going to be wrong and you just have to manage your risk a good bit. Well, Dan, on this Tuesday, March 23rd, yeah. it's always a joy to go through the macro setup with you. Brought to you this week by Nadex. Dan, get, please get ready. The premier U.S. Right. exchange for binary options, call spreads, and? Knockouts, bud. You're damn straight, Dan. Have a good day, everybody. Thanks. All right, thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of The Macro Setup. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe in podcast stores so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next week.